Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. We are continuing our sermon series looking at Joseph's story, and we're going to continue the theme from last week of reading really long passages. I'm going to read all of Genesis chapter 40 here today. So I want you to know that if it feels like it's going on and on, it's because it is. I'm going to read the whole chapter here to you. So this is story time. Relax. Pretend I'm Mr. Rogers or something. Whatever helps you read a story. This is Genesis chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he waited on them, and they continued for some time in custody. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, Its blossoms came out and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to make mention of me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this place. For in fact, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a pole and the birds will eat the flesh from you. That's a little little rough, huh? Sorry to laugh at his expense though. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his cupbearing and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But the chief baker he hanged, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us here together. We thank you that through this story, this ancient story that has been passed down to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we're able to learn about Joseph's character, to learn about your character, to learn about who you call us to be. And looking at Joseph's patience, Lord, we can see a model 
of how you want us to engage this world. So Lord, guide us now. Speak to us through your scriptures. May your Holy Spirit teach each and every one of us now. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I will confess to you all that with my friends, with my family, I'm not known as the most patient person. I'm not very good at waiting for things that I am excited about or things that I want. This manifests in a lot of small things in my life. For instance, before the pandemic, I was always the person that when a movie came out that I wanted to see, I was there the Thursday night before trying to get to the earliest possible showing I could get to. I would buy tickets months in advance. I had to be there, one of the first people to see it. It's true also for TV shows now. I have to have all these different streaming services so that I make sure I see that show right when it comes out, as though everybody's going to ask me what my opinion of it is. When my wife and I are trying to figure out where we want to go for dinner, I always know right away exactly where I want to go. She wants to weigh options, and it's this constant struggle between us. We have figured out a system of voting, though, that works for us. But I'm not a particularly patient person when I have something that I want or something that I need. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we live in a culture now where we have all of this technology where it seems like its primary purpose is to decrease the time that we are waiting for things. We have all of this technology, all of these inventions that seem to just try to shorten the time that we are waiting. And in that, I think many of us lose the ability to wait well. We lose that ability to wait well. But when you look at this story that Joseph is, finds himself in here, at the end of it, Joseph is at a point where he has to wait well. This story is one where it ends up with Joseph waiting. In this story, it's fairly straightforward. By way of recap, in case you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers who decided they didn't want him around. Then he was serving a royal official named, Pharaoh, named Potiphar in Pharaoh's service. Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph, which made Potiphar throw him into jail. But this entire time, Joseph handles these circumstances with grace, with character, constantly trying to do the right thing by God and by the people that have been placed in his life. So he just keeps serving people wherever he is. He serves Potiphar well, then he serves the chief jailer, and now in this story, he's serving two officials of Pharaoh who have been thrown into jail with him. And I have to say that for me, this story plays out like a horror movie. Some of you may know that I am a baker. So when I read this story, I identify first with the baker, and it's not great. Midge, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of a rough story because the baker doesn't end well. The cupbearer for Pharaoh tells Joseph his story and learns that he's going to be restored. Things are going to be fine with him. He'll be just fine. The baker, on the other hand, tells Joseph his story and learns that his head's going to get chopped off or he's going to get hanged and the birds are going to eat his flesh. It's kind of brutal for him. But in this story, Joseph asks the cupbearer, the one who Joseph is giving good news to, the one that Joseph can assure, the one that Joseph is doing a good deed to, to not forget him. 
He pleads his case to the cupbearer, saying, when you are restored, tell Pharaoh about me because what has happened to me is unjust. I shouldn't be here. I'm innocent, Joseph says. Help Pharaoh to get me out of here. But at the very end of the story, we learn he forgot him. The cupbearer completely forgets Joseph. And it's not a situation where he's saying, Joseph, I remember you. I'll get to it as soon as I can. Just wait for a good opportunity and I'll tell Pharaoh. No, the scripture tells us he completely forgot Joseph, who had been doing all of this kindness to him, who had been doing the right thing by him. He forgets Joseph. So Joseph finds himself there in prison for two more years. That's the way this is going to play out. Two more years, Joseph has to wait. I'm sure every day realizing Pharaoh's cupbearer had forgotten him. Every day letting that recognition set in, not knowing how this was going to end, not having any indication it was going to end well other than the dream that he had had, Joseph finds himself waiting. Now, Joseph isn't alone in this. If you go back and you read the scriptures closely, you realize pretty quickly that waiting is commonly described in the Bible. Waiting in the Bible is a theme of scripture. Regularly, the scriptures will go back to pictures of people who are waiting or instructions that we should wait or how to wait. If you go back and you look at the Psalm, Psalm 40 begins, I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry. Psalm 27, 14 ends with wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You will see this instruction to wait for the Lord over and over and over again in the scriptures. And when you get to the New Testament, one of the classic examples of waiting is there at the beginning of the gospel of Luke. At the temple, there's two people who have been waiting for the Messiah for decades. One of them is named Simeon. He was told that he was not going to die until he saw the Messiah. So he's there in the temple just waiting for decades for the Messiah to show up so that he can die peacefully. And when Jesus arrives and he sees him as a babe, he's able to do that. There's a woman there in the same scene named Anna, who for 84 years, we're told, was waiting, living in the temple for the Messiah. That's a clear indication from the Gospel of Luke that if you want to follow Jesus, you want to follow the God of the Bible, a lot of your time is going to be spent waiting. Gospel of John reaffirms this also. In John chapter 5, there's one story of a man who's laying by a pool who can't walk. And for 38 years, we're told, he's laying by this pool thinking the pool will heal him, waiting for somebody to help him into the pool so he'll be able to walk again. Waiting is central to following God, to following Jesus. You lift up the God of the Bible, you're gonna find yourself waiting on all sorts of things. Both small scale in your life, you're gonna be waiting, but big picture, waiting is core to discipleship because what we believe, what the Bible tells us is that we're in this kind of funky time right now where we know that God's victory on the cross and the resurrection has been accomplished. We know that the world is going to be made right. We know that that victory has been accomplished. We believe that. We proclaim that. But we haven't yet seen the results of that victory fully in our world. We proclaim that God's 
already accomplished the victory, but we look around the world and there's brokenness, there's suffering. And we all find ourselves waiting for all sorts of different things. It's part of being a disciple. And I don't know what it is that you are waiting on now, but I'm sure each and every one of us have something that we're waiting for. Sometimes it'll be small, silly things like I mentioned with food. Well, although food's important, but you know what I mean. Or movies or shows, but sometimes it's much deeper things, much more important things. I'm sure many of us are waiting for a broken friendship or broken family relationship in our lives to be mended. We're waiting for a person that we're trying to reconcile with to reach out back to us, to be willing to sit down and talk. Or we're waiting for the anger in ourselves to subside towards somebody that we need to reconcile with and reach out to. I'm sure every single one of us has lost somebody that we loved. Somebody we loved has died. And we're waiting for that grief to subside, for that grief to numb a little bit, to not feel as intense as it feels. I'm sure many of us are waiting for financial circumstances to get better in our lives, waiting for a better job. We're all waiting for all sorts of things. And for us as Christians who believe God is active in the world, we're waiting for God to break into this world. Waiting is part of following Jesus. It's part of embracing this gospel message. That's why I believe when the Apostle Paul is listing the fruits of the Spirit, patience is the fourth fruit of the Spirit that he lists. Patience is not just an add-on. It's not something that we as Christians exhibit just as an aside. It's a core part of following Jesus, displaying patience, modeling patience, having the patience that the Holy Spirit bears inside of us. That's a core part. When Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, he starts off with love, joy, and peace. Three fruits of the Spirit that we talk about a lot, especially when we get to Advent season, which is coming up here. But patience gets kind of pushed to the side. But patience is something that you are centrally called to, that I am centrally called to, that we are all called to. Now, patience is defined as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. That last part is key there. Without getting angry or upset. Impatience will lead to anger. And we're all going to get angry every once in a while. Anger in and of itself, it, it isn't a sin. Lingering anger, the Bible tells us, is a sin. Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger that begins to take hold in our lives. Anger that begins to manifest itself, that begins to define us. When that happens, it makes it so much harder to see the work that God is doing in your life. Anger, when it takes over, will blind you to all the things God is actually doing. And the anger will begin to narrow your vision. It'll begin to fracture your relationships with other people. It will begin to take over everything in your life if you don't address the anger. If you look around at our world today, there's a lot of angry people. If you look around at our world today, 
a lot of the most angry seem to be Christians as well. And I would contend that we as Christians should not be dwelling in our anger and that we should be the most patient of people. That the fact that things aren't going the way we want them to, the fact that the world doesn't look the way we hope it would, the fact that our lives don't look the way we hope they would, that should not lead us to anger or to constantly being upset. When I look at Joseph's story here, when you look at Joseph's patience, one of the things that we see is he never seems to exhibit anger. Though he's there waiting for two years in prison, he never seems to exhibit anger. And what is so striking to me is that, as I said earlier, at this story, with the cupbearer having forgotten Joseph, I can tell you right now, I would be like carving pictures of him being harmed on the walls of that jail cell if I'm Joseph. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he continues to serve. He continues to be faithful. He doesn't get angry or upset. He simply continues to be faithful to whatever God has placed in his life in that moment. Joseph's patience throughout this entire story is remarkable. And we're going to get to a point where he's confronted his brothers who have sold him into slavery. And you can see there, he hasn't even gotten overly angry with them. He messes with them a little bit, but he doesn't respond in anger. Joseph's patience is striking here. But the truth is that though Joseph has no indication that things are going to get better, there's no concrete evidence it seems that deep down he knows the story isn't over. And that's true for each and every one of us as well. Whatever it is you're waiting on, whatever it is that is causing anger or frustration in your life, whatever it is that is causing impatience in your life, the story isn't over. And when I say whatever it is, I mean whatever it is. This is actually where we as Christians have an advantage over Joseph. He had his dream that he was going to rule over his brothers, but we have something deeper, which is the promise of the gospel, the promise of resurrection. And the promise of the gospel is that death has been overcome. Death, the most seemingly powerful, inevitable force in our lives. Death, the thing that cuts us off from the people we love most, that makes us say goodbye. Death that causes the most grief in this world. That is what the gospel overcame. That's what the resurrection of Jesus triumphed over. So it means anything that is causing that sadness, causing that grief, causing that loss, anything that you are waiting on, anything that is forcing you to be patient, the promise of the gospel is that it has been overcome. The world will be made right. And because of that promise, that's why I say we as Christians should be the most patient of people. The patience of Christians should be what we are known by, what is modeled to the world so that the rest of the world, as they're waiting on things and getting angry and getting frustrated because it's not working out the way that they want it to, we're able to say, God is going to accomplish the victory. Through the cross and the resurrection, God has already accomplished the victory. We are waiting, but we as Christians wait well with patience because of the hope that we have. So my hope is that we as a people would be patient. We would model that patience, not letting anger and frustration take over. 
but instead modeling the hope that we have that the story isn't over, that the victory has been accomplished, and that the character of our God wins out in the end. Please pray with me. Lord, help us to be a patient people. Help us to wait on you. Help us to wait for you. Help us to do so well, Lord, so that others can understand the hope we have in you. Like Joseph there in that prison cell, Lord. Whatever our circumstances are, help us to figure out how we can serve you and serve others. Lord, when we feel anger or frustration, help it to subside. Though it's not bad in and of itself, and anger is just natural, Lord. Help it to not take over. Help it to not define us. Instead, Lord, help us to be defined by our patience that is rooted in our hope we have in you. Lord, as we move to take our offering now, bless this offering so that we can model that patience to the community around us. Bless this offering so that we can share the hope we have in you, the hope of your resurrection. Bless this offering so that more people can know who you are, Lord, through us. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in your name we pray, amen.
Dead up.